Luke chapter 15. All the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. The Pharisees and scribes complained. Religion will always complain about grace. You see, God is bigger than you think he is. He's more different than you think he is. The Pharisees and Sadducees, the scribes, they had the picture of God which came from the law, from the traditions, from the practices. And the thought, God is this. They have an opinion of God. But when Jesus came from God, talking about God, manifesting God, he was opposite of their opinions and beliefs. So they could not, you know, they could not understand this Jesus. They could not handle him. They could not put him in a box. They could not understand how a God who is so holy and pure can fellowship and love sinners. Jesus attracted sinners. Sinners were comfortable with Jesus. They loved to hang around with Jesus. And it was happening at such a level and degree that the Pharisees were uncomfortable. See, this was a culture where they think that people who are in sin, who are committing sin are unclean people. Unworthy people, undeserving people. Now the question is, in our churches, are people flocking to our churches or running away from churches? Huh? Think. Are the sinners of the world, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the drug addicts, the alcoholics, are they attracted to church today? Or are they afraid of church? When they go to church, do you think they will get love or they will get condemnation? See, Jesus did not condemn them at all. See, when he went to Zechariah's house, Zechariah was a chief tax collector. The Bible says he was short, right? Yeah, but he was not cute. We think short and cute. He was not cute. He was the boss. Tax collectors in those days means gangs. Because the most violent men were the ones that were hired to collect the tax. And he was a chief tax collector. That means he was violent. He must be ugly, full of scars. He must have even murdered people, beaten people up. He was a chief tax collector. Jesus did not say, let him first repent and I'll go to his house. Let him ask forgiveness first. Then I will go and bless his house. No, Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. And Jesus did not go and say, Zacchaeus, you are bad. Zacchaeus, you should not do that. No, Jesus sat down and ate with him and fellowship with him. And grace touched his heart so much that he stood up and said, All that I have, I'll give to the poor. Whatever I have stolen, I will restore double. How did Zacchaeus repent? Did he repent in order to impress Jesus? Or... Did Jesus love him first and then he repented? Jesus loved him first and then he repented. The goodness of God leads to repentance. The tax collectors and sinners were comfortable with him. And then he gives in response to these people three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the one sheep, 
that was lost from the 99, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. Three parables, right? Lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. In all three parables, we see the heart of God. That He's so good, He comes to save the lost. He has come to find the lost coin. He has come to seek the lost sheep. He has come to seek the lost son. Jesus came to reveal the goodness of God, not the anger of God. Nowadays, the church thinks we are here to reveal the anger of God. I was invited to preach to the legislators many years back, more than 10 years back, during the monthly fellowship. So, I was thinking, the ministers and MLS have invited me to preach. I'm going to go and give it to them. You corrupted people. You, I was thinking like that. I'm going to go and give it to them. But then the Lord arrested my heart and said, no. The goodness of God leads to repentance. You go and tell them, because you are corrupted, God will judge you. God will put sick. Do you think they're going to change? No. But yet the church thinks that by preaching against the world every Sunday, the world will change. Well, we've done that for 2,000 years and the world is not changing. In fact, the world hates us more. And we have the greatest message. And we don't preach the message of the gospel. We are preaching condemnation, the law. Hey, if you don't change, you will go to hell. Is there good news in that? See, the good news has to go through the cross, go through Jesus. Amen. It's the goodness of God. Look at Luke chapter 5. So this is the time when the fishermen, Simon, Peter, and his friend, this is before they met Jesus, okay? Two boats standing by the lake, verse 2. Fishermen had gone from them. They were fishing. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. He sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. So Jesus was teaching from his boat. After the teaching... Jesus says in verse 4, Launch out into the deep and let down your net for a catch. Simon answered, We have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the, catch, the nets. When they had done this, they caught a huge number of fish and the net was breaking. So another boat had to come and the field bought the boats with the fish. Now, for fishermen, fish is money. For farmers, vegetable is Money, right? For piggy people, pig is money. For me, pig is food. For them, pig is money, right? So for Peter to have such a huge catch of fish, what is it? It's called financial breakthrough. It's called financial blessing, yes? Amen. So what happens to Peter? When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. What is that? That's repentance. Right? Question. Did Peter repent first? And Jesus says, ah, see, you repent. Let me give you fish. Or did Jesus give the fish first? The miracle came first and then Peter repented. What happened first? Huh? Ah! The goodness of God came first. And it Touch his heart. Oh, I am not worthy. 
to receive such goodness. He fell down and said, I'm a sinful man. Right? The goodness of God leads to repentance. But what do we think today nowadays? And what do we preach? Be good. Huh? Be good first. Be good. Then God will bless you. That's what we preach, right? In our churches. So we think that we repent first and then God is impressed. And then he will love you. I was in a crusade. This person, worship leader, came up to the stage and said, Come on everyone, raise your hands. Lift up your hands and worship the Lord and say, I love you. Listen, if you don't love God, God will not love you. He said that. So all the young people so afraid. Yes, we lift up our hands. Because if we don't love God, He will not love us. Is that the gospel? Is that the truth? That was absolute nonsense. But that is accepted in the pulpits in Nagaland as truth. If you don't love God, how will God love you? So let's love Him first. So they are thinking everything originates from men. I love Him first, then He responds. No, everything originates from God. For God so loved the world. It's not for men so loved God. Amen. So the goodness of God comes first. And then it leads to repentance. Look at Mark chapter 1. Jesus came to reveal the Father. The Bible says He's the express image of the glory of God. So in every action of Jesus, in every interaction of Jesus, in every word of Jesus, we see the Father, the glory of the Father. The brightness of the Father revealed. So Jesus and the Father are the same. If you want to see God, look at Jesus. How He talked, how He walked, how He loved. That is God. Does God forgive? Yes. How do I know? Because Jesus forgave the woman caught in adultery. Amen. Look at Mark chapter 1 verse 40. A leper came to Him. Now in the Jewish culture, lepers are unclean people. Unclean. Unclean. That means they cannot hang out in society. They cannot go out with normal people. They have to be outside the city. And everywhere they walk, they have to say, unclean, unclean, unclean. Everyone, oh, reject them. So not only were they sick in their body and the skin, they were sick in their hearts. Depression, loneliness, they feel rejected, ostracized, outcast. Okay. Kneeling down to him and saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him. If Jesus was moved with compassion, it also means God was moved with compassion. Amen. And said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. In the Greek, you know how this phrase really reads? It's not I am willing in the Greek. In the Greek, the emphasis is I will, I will, I will. When we translate into English, it doesn't come out so powerfully. But in the Greek, it means, I will, I will. What do we see here? We see a picture of a good God who is willing to cleanse the unclean. The law says, leper, unclean. But the law cannot make you clean. The Ten Commandments says, you are a sinner. But the Ten Commandments cannot cleanse you of your sins. This leper, under the law, Condemned as unclean. Have to live outside the city walls. See, the law will tell you your sins. The law will tell you how bad you are. But the law can never cleanse you. Lift you up. 
But Jesus extended his hand and says, I am willing to be cleansed. Only grace can cleanse you. Can you say Amen? Hallelujah. 40 and 41. So Jesus is an expression of the goodness of God. And we see that on the cross. Amen? All right. The second thing is this. The cross, a place of freedom from judgment. Write that point down. The cross is a place of freedom from judgment. There are three words for judgment in the Greek, in the Bible. In the English, we see only one word. Judgment, judgment, judgment. And the moment we see that word, we get afraid. Because we think it's God condemning and punishing. But there are three words. You can write it down. K-R-I-M-A. Krima. In the Greek, this also means judgment. But the word meaning is this. Krima is a decision. A decree. A judgment. The second is, I don't know how to pronounce it, crisis or crisis. K-R-I-S-I-S. And it means a separating. A choosing, a deciding. It also means a decision, determining. Okay? And the third is the word krino, K-R-I-N-O. Krino. It means to separate, to part, to order, to arrange, to investigate. So the word judgment in different parts of the Bible means different things. But we tend to lump all into the understanding of the English word judgment. So there are places in the Bible where the word judgment is mentioned, which does not refer to the judgment of God over our lives. For example, the time of the COVID pandemic was a judgment. But the word that will be used to describe the COVID pandemic will be the word crisis. What does it mean? It means this. The COVID pandemic was a time of trial on the earth. Wherein there was a separation. Right? A separation. A choosing for the people. Between truth and error. Between God and fear. See, harvest time. Time there's a preaching of the gospel. There's a crisis moment. Because you have to choose. So pandemic times. Difficult times. It's a time of judgment. It doesn't mean God is judging. It's a time of choosing for the world. It's a time of separation. It's a time when true believers are being set apart from false believers. Are you following? So it's not as if God is angry and He sent the COVID pandemic. No. God does not produce sickness. Sickness doesn't come from God. But it was a time of judgment. It was a time of separation. It was a time of choosing. A time of determining for the world. Do you get it? So the word judgment has different meanings. The word krima, it means the final sentence upon sinners that is passed by God in the eternal judgment at the end of the days. The final judgment when sinners are condemned to the lake of fire, when sinners are condemned to eternity without God. It's the word krima. But not in all places in the Bible does it mean that. Also, you have to understand the context. So when you see the word judgment, it means different things. Sometimes the word judgment means to determine. You have to judge. 
when the Bible says you have to judge, it doesn't mean you judge and you condemn. No, it means that you have to decide what is good for you. Right? You have to determine. Okay? So, just write those things down and try to understand the verses as we, as we read it later. Turn to Romans chapter 10, verse 15. The cross is a freedom, is a place of freedom from judgment because a, a man or a person cannot live an emotionally stable life as a Christian unless they are free from the judgment of God. They're free from this thought of God judging them. Many years back, I used to wake up in the middle of the night with this fear that came from condemnation and guilt in my heart. And this fear was so oppressive that I thought I was even losing my mind. And that fear was whispering to me, you deserve this because of your sins. God is judging you. So there was this deception the enemy was trying to put into my life that because of what I have done, I deserve this experience, that depression, that attack upon my mind, as just punishment, just judgment from God because of what I have done. Now, if I did not understand the gospel, I would have accepted it and said, yes, because of what I have done, I deserve it. And I don't know what would be happening to my life right now. But even in that force, that attack upon my mind, and all my feelings and my emotions were, were, you know, stirred up negatively. In my heart and my mind, I held on to the word and said, No, I am forgiven of all my sins. The Father is not judging me. The Father is not condemning me. Even though everything in my mind and my feelings were the opposite. I held on to the truth and that preserved me from that dark moment. Then I realized... If we of this believe that because of something wrong I have done, some impending judgment is coming upon my life, I will not lead an emotionally stable life. I will always have this fear that something, somewhere, something bad will happen. And that feeling comes from condemnation. So the cross, we must understand, is a place where God has set us free from judgment and also this fear of being judged by God. Okay, Romans 10 verse 15. I'm going to read from the Living Bible. This is what the scriptures are talking about when they say, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. Those who preach the gospel of peace. It's a gospel of peace, not a gospel of judgment. That means on our pulpits, we must always be careful to bring peace to the people. Amen. The gospel of peace with God and bring glad tidings of good things. Glad tidings of good things. The pulpit is a place to proclaim good news of good things to come. In fact, when you hear the gospel, your heart should be filled with the hope of good things to come. Not bad things to come. Are you with me? So it's a gospel of peace. It's not a gospel of judgment. Look at Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 to 15. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. So that happened on the cross. Jesus died on the cross. So through death, I mean Jesus dying on the cross, he destroyed the power of the devil over our lives and released through the cross 
through Jesus dying on the cross and destroying the power of the devil, release, everyone say release, those who through fear of death, what's the fear of death? The fear of death is the fear of judgment. Where does fear come from? In the garden, Adam and Eve, before they sinned, did they have fear? Did they experience fear? Did they have even a single day of worry? A single minute of worry? Anxiety? No, Adam and Eve were living in a perfect environment where they were experiencing complete exuberant life. There was no fear, no anger, no complaining, no grumbling, no fear at all. But when the serpent came to Eve and Eve ate and made Adam eat, what was one of the first things they experienced? Huh? Fear. Fear. And they hid from God. They covered themselves with fig leaves. So where did fear come from? Sin. Because of sin, they feel guilty, condemned, and fear comes. So the fear of death results from sin. Which comes from guilt. Sin, guilt, fear, worry, depression. It's all progression. So for all their lifetime, the Bible says... Release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to subject to bondage. Underline that. Fear of death. Death through judgment. Death through punishment. Because that's what people are fearing. That God will condemn them. They've committed the unpardonable sin. And because of that, they are in bondage to deception in the mind. That boy was in bondage to depression because he thought he had committed the unpardonable sin. Okay? So, the fear of judgment, which will result in death, causes people to be subject to bondage. It binds you. What is the meaning of the word bondage? It means to be under control. To be subjected to. Bondage to addictions, bondage to abusive relationships, bondage to all kinds of phobias. All kinds of phobias. Where does that come from? It comes from the fear of being judged, guilt, and condemnation. Look at First John. Let me show you how sin brings fear of judgment. First John chapter 4 verse 17. Let's read it together. One, two, three. That we have boldness in the day of judgment. There is no fear in love. So when you know the love of God, there is no fear. The fear of what? Go back to verse 17. The fear of judgment. Love has been perfected among us in this. That we may have boldness when? In the day of Judgment. The day of judgment is not referring to the last days when Jesus will judge the nations. The word judgment there is the word crisis. Which talks about a time of trial. For example, the COVID pandemic time. How many of you experienced a lot of fear during the COVID time? Can I see your hands? 
See, the Bible says, love has been perfected among us in this. That means if you know the love of God, if you're establishing the love of God, we will have boldness in the day of darkness, difficulty, trials over the earth. Because as God is, I mean, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. That means God loves Jesus. He loves us the same. If Jesus is accepted, I am accepted because I'm in Christ, right? Verse 18, there is no fear in love. If you know God loves you, there's no fear. Even when you go through difficult times, even when you go through darkness, even when you go through earthquakes and floods and lack and war and famine, there is no fear. Why? God loves me. He is with me. He will take care of me. Amen. But perfect love casts out fear. So when you are established in the gospel, it will cast out fear. But why does fear come in times of judgment? We think that God's judging me because of my sins, my condemnation. We begin to feel that we are not worthy. He who fears has not been made perfect in love. And then also says, because fear involves torment. Fear involves torment. Fear is bondage. So when we go through negative things, how many of you know that even good people go through bad things? Yes? When you go through bad things, it doesn't mean you are bad. It doesn't mean that your grandfather's sin has caught up with you. It doesn't mean that your sins have caught up with you. We just live in an imperfect world. But how many of you, sometimes when you hear bad news, bad things happen, the first thought that comes to your mind is, what did I do wrong? Huh? Yes or no? Yes, what did I do wrong? You begin to analyze yourself. You begin to introspect. What did I do wrong that this has come upon me? And then we start thinking, ah, it's because of this, it's because of that. I did not give my tithes because I said wrong things to my neighbor. Ah, because I did. Ah, Lord, forgive me. And you begin to confess all your sins which you have already confessed before. And you confess again and again and again because you're going through a moment of darkness and difficulty. You begin to always look to yourself and have this fear that you are being judged by God. How many of you experienced that? Ah, the Bible says perfect love casts out fear. And then of course some people say, if bad things are happening to your house, it's because you've done something bad. No. Better repent, fast for 21 days, 40 days, confess all your sins. Because we think, religion has taught us, that if we are good people, only good things will happen in our lives. Which is not true. Then why did Jesus die on the cross? Why was Jesus persecuted? Paul. Paul, right? He was doing good, right? Preaching the gospel. He went to prison many times. Beaten up, stoned. If he was doing good, why did these bad things happen to him? So we think that if you are a good person, God will always do good and no bad things will happen. No, 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 no. That's not true. You have an enemy, the devil. You live in an imperfect world. Bad things also happen to good people. So when people go through dark times, difficult times, crisis moments, they have this fear that they are being judged. And that fear involves torment. So you need to be set free from the fear of judgment. And we know that it comes through the cross. Okay? So, I want you to turn now to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. 
Because then the question is, well, well, what about people who sin and bad things happen to them? James 1 verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. God does not tempt with evil. Temptation doesn't come from God. Understand that, okay? Nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. See, temptation comes by the enemy who knows your desires and entices you. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. That means God only gives good things. God doesn't put sickness on people. God doesn't put disease on people. Then where does these things happen? Even sometimes to Christians. It's sin. It's the consequences of sin. The consequences of sin. When people choose a sinful lifestyle without repenting, that has consequences. Consequences like divorce. Consequences like depression. Consequences like breaking up of relationships. Losing your finances. All those things can happen. And it's not God who is doing that to you. It's just the result of your sin. Now God's grace is there to forgive you if you receive Christ into your life. And to give grace to transform you. But if you choose your own path, God will allow you to go in your own direction like Pharaoh did. Like Saul did. Amen. So it's the consequences of sin. Sin, when it is fully matured, brings forth death. So it is not God who puts sickness on people. It is not God who kills. It is sin. So we must make the differentiation. All right? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life to Jesus Christ our Lord. God gives life. Sin gives death. Sin. And the word sin there is a noun. It's not a verb. So it talks about the power, the principle. That the more you yield to that sin and you don't repent from that, that means you yield to pride, it gets bigger, and your pride gets bigger. God is gracious. Every one of us have pride, but God speaks to us. We humble ourselves, we forgive, but there are some people who will not forgive and they hold on to that unforgiveness. And that unforgiveness becomes bitterness. That bitterness becomes hatred. And that hatred one day manifests in murder. Now what happens? He ends up taking a life. Maybe he ends up killing himself. What happened? It was sin that killed him. Sin became matured. Sin became full grown. Because he did not humble himself when God spoke to him when he was initially in unforgiveness. Forgive. But he let that unforgiveness grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. He commit murder. Maybe he's caught by the police. Now he's in prison. For the rest of life, his life is destroyed. Amen? Okay. So, it is sin. It is not God. God has given us freedom from judgment. And very few Christians know that. Go back to John chapter 3. Do you know that you are free from the judgment of God? Very few Christians know that. We also still think God's going to judge us. 
God's going to judge you, yes, but not for your sins. You are not going to be judged for your sins. Alright, look at John chapter 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. The word condemn there, do you know what Hebrew, on the, what Greek word it is? Krino. It means judge. God did not send his son into the world to judge the world. And that word, it means to condemn, to punish the world. God did not send Jesus to punish. The first coming of Jesus, it is not to punish. But that the world might find salvation through him. Verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who believes in Jesus Christ. How many of you believe in Jesus? Can I see your hands? Ah, he who believes in him is not judged. The original Greek word is judged. God is not going to judge you anymore. Amen. Is not judged. And in the bracket Amplified Bible it says, He who trusts in him never comes up for judgment. For in him there is no rejection, no condemnation. He incurs no damnation. But he who does not believe is already condemned. Because they are still in their sins. Amen. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. So the one who believes, the Bible says, is not judged. Will not come up for judgment. That means on the cross, you are set free from all judgment. Look at John chapter 5. For as the father raised up the dead and quickened them. I'm sorry, verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom He will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. Can you see that? That means, from the Father, there is no judgment right now in progress towards you. God is not judging anyone today because the Father has handed all judgment to the son. Committed all judgment to the son. Amen. Look at verse 23. That all should honor the son just as they honor the father. He who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Verse 24. Most assuredly I say to you, who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment. Some Bible says, Condemnation, but has passed from death to life. If you believe in Jesus, you will not come into any judgment. Why? The Father has handed all judgment to His Son. And if you believe in Jesus, see, one reason why that happened is because God already judged you on the cross. All your sins, past sins, present sins, future sins were judged in the body of Jesus Christ. Did Jesus deserve to go to the cross? Did Jesus deserve to be judged for the sins of mankind? Whose sins was it? His sins or our sins? Our sins. Not his sins. My sins. And when my sins came on Jesus, the father beat him in a sense. The father 
put his wrath on him. The wrath, the fire of God's judgment came on me or on Jesus? Jesus. That means my sins are already judged. It is unjust of God to judge me for my sins when they have already been judged on Jesus Christ. Now, question, is God a righteous judge? Huh? Is God righteous? Can he make a mistake? No. Sometimes we make mistakes. Somebody did not do wrong, but we punish them, right? Even though they did not do wrong, we punish them. Has that happened? Yes, we make mistakes. But God doesn't make mistakes. If my sins are punished on the body of Jesus, can God punish me for the same sin again? Cannot. Impossible. If God did that, He would not be just anymore. That means who who believes will not come into judgment. Even the law of the land states that you cannot be punished twice for the same crime. If you committed a crime and the judge says three years in prison, you will go for three years in prison. After you paid for your crimes, you will not be sentenced again for the same crime. Right? It's called the law of double jeopardy. You cannot be punished twice for the same crime. If you paid the price once, you are free, man, from that day onwards. You are free to go out as a free citizen. Now, who was punished for your sins? Jesus. That means I'm free. Free from what? Judgment. Amen. Hallelujah. You have been blessed through this podcast. We invite you to partner with us in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ from Nagaland to the nations. We make all our series available for free, but it does cost us time, effort, and money to do it. So the support of people such as you will enable us to reach more people in more regions. Remember, when you give, the word of God says in 2 Corinthians 9.8 that God is able to make all grace abound towards you. And you, always having all sufficiency, all things, may have an abundance of every good work. If you would like to support our media ministry on a monthly basis or through a one-time gift, kindly write to us at faithharvestnagaland at gmail.com and visit our website www.faithharvest.in and you can go to the giving section. You can also give through this UPI ID 700 at PayTM. God bless you and thank you so much for your generosity.